Okay, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Any group, organization, business, team is going to need leadership. The Bible points to that all the way through. You go all the way back to the beginning of the very creation. We notice that with Adam and Eve, he creates Adam and then he creates Eve and he refers to her as a helpmeet or a helper for Adam, which signifies a little a position of leadership. That principle is seen as the leadership that the husband exercises within the home. Not only that, but you look at the patriarchs. It started out with being leaders of families. Then these patriarchs, as they grew, and you look at the blessing that was promised to Abraham, that he would not just remain a family, but that he would be a family that would become a nation. And then a nation that would bless the whole world. Joseph ends up being a leader of the whole known world at the time as he gets elevated second only to Pharaoh. And so we see that God uses leadership in many different places. It doesn't stop there. It goes on from there. When God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, He appoints Moses to be a leader of the people. And then Moses, through the wisdom of his father-in-law, would organize a whole structure under him of leaders that would be able to help people deal with different situations. Moses, as he passed off the scene, would be replaced by Joshua. Joshua would be replaced by the judges. From that point on, and actually backing up before some of that, you have three kinds of different offices that would be in function. You'd have the prophet, priest, and king. And Christ would fulfill all of those offices. As we roll into the New Testament, we find the same thing. We find that God still has verses that that establish and deal with leadership within the home. But then not only within the home, He tells us that governors and positions of political authority are put in place by God as well. Kings. Within the church, there's also structure and authority because He points to pastors and, and deacons as exercising authority within the church as well. Pretty much every organization or institution is going to need some leadership. But there's lots of places, whether you consider yourself a a recognized leader or not, there's lots of places where all of us experience leadership to one level or another. Within our families, within our friendships, within different things that we become a part of, we end up having impact and influence on other people. So we end up having an opportunity to be leaders in one sense or another. This morning, as we look in First Thessalonians, what we're seeing is a, is a real focus on their leadership. The Apostle Paul is pointing out the kind of leadership that they exercised among the Thessalonians as they had that very effective ministry there. And so what he's pointing out is this effective spiritual leadership that he had. Now, he definitely had the position. He had a position as apostle. But you'll notice all through this passage, he doesn't just refer to what he did as an apostle, but as we. And so he recognizes Timothy and Silas as well as they function along with the apostles and helped in the leadership task there as well. But the church at Thessalonica would also have 
pastors and deacons that would help and lead the church. You would have people that would stand up and lead in different areas, just like we do within our church. We have people that lead ladies' Bible studies and men's Bible studies and the, the midweek Bible study and lots of different areas. There's different areas over everything from taking care of the facilities and the grounds to organizing different dinners and things that happen throughout our calendar year. Lots of areas where people step up and, and lead in those things. Well, how can we make sure that we're involved in effective leadership? Well, as we go down through this passage, the Apostle Paul uses two different metaphors. He points out that there's motherly characteristics that are involved in godly leadership and there's fatherly characteristics that are involved in godly leadership. And with each one, he's going to point out, highlight some different things as there's obviously clear differences between mothers and fathers and men and women. But he's going to uh, highlight these kinds of attributes. Don't you love the fact that when you read through the Bible and you look at the church and, and what it is, the fact that God, not exclusively, but uses family-type terms to use for the different examples of the way that he wants things to operate. Because that's what we are here at the church. We're part of God's family. And then it makes sense that we would glean from what we see within mothers and what we see within fathers. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing as he's writing to the Thessalonians and by extension to us. Well, the first one, as we look at the motherly characteristics, it says in verse 7, "...but we were gentle..." among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so the very first quality or characteristic that we see is that of gentleness. Now, the, the Apostle Paul uses language like this in other places in the Bible too. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He looked at his stresses and his labors that he put into these churches and into their lives as being in the anguish of childbirth, trying to bring them into a relationship with Christ and then grow it. But the first characteristic that is pointed to is gentleness. And you know, that's what I think of when I think of my mom, was gentleness. There were definitely things that I went to my mom for and there were things that I went to my dad for. But usually when I went to my mom, it's because I was looking for comfort. You know, mom is always that place where you get that warm hug and that snuggle a little bit and a little bit of encouragement and then back on to playing with whatever you're playing with before you got hurt or whatever got you sent into her to begin with. But you know what? That's what moms are kind of known for. Dads, not, not so much. We, we, we strive to be gentle as well, but, but we're, not as, we're not as natural to it. We're not born to it like, like women are. Uh, dad has a has a different part of the job, and when especially when you're dealing with sons, you're teaching the young boys how to become men, and some of that's going to take some lumps and bruises. So they go out with dad, they get the lumps and bruises, they run over to mom, get a little bit of comfort, and then they're back for some more lumps and bruises. But that mom, that gentleness, you know, we're supposed to be gentle like that, even when things are rough, when things are heated. Yeah, we're supposed to speak the truth, but we're supposed to do it in love. We're supposed to continue to be gentle like a mother with her child. In 2 Timothy, when the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy, he would say, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Now, if you look in the first letter to Timothy, you'll find that he's going to be dealing with some people that were teaching all kinds of things that they weren't supposed to be. In fact, the Apostle Paul told him, he says, part of the reason I left you there is so that you will silence those people. Get them to stop teaching and dwelling on the things that they shouldn't be talking about. They don't even understand the law and how what the things that they're mentioning. He had to be involved in some quarrels, in some tough situations. But the Apostle Paul would write to him here and he says, you know what, serving the Lord, you still need to be gentle. Even when you're handling those tough situations, even in that kind of a case, then we're still called to gentleness. He says, 
must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Our harshness doesn't pay off. You know, and I can remember a couple times, even as a father, where I, where I purposely, not without thought, but with thought and premeditation, acted a little uh, over the board harsh with uh, one or two of my sons a time or two. And the reason I did it was because I, I thought, you know what? They need to understand what a big deal this is. They need to recognize that this is not a small infraction. My temperament is not to fly off the handle, but I remember there was a couple times with my sons where I thought, you know what? They need to see how important this is, and I need to communicate that. And so I got a little overly harsh uh, on a couple different times. And you know what? Never paid off. But he says, you know what? Even to your opponents, he says you need to correct people. Even when you're correcting people, you need to do it gently like a mom does. What's the difference? The difference is love's in the mix. You're still doing the correcting. You're still going to hold people to account, but you do it in a caring manner, a loving manner, a gentle manner. Well, that's coupled along with affection. Notice it says that she cares, and and it, it compares it not only to a mother, but to a nursing mother. That's significant. I was amazed when we had our first child, our first son. Tim came into the world, and he's just a little little baby. And you know what? I was amazed because when that baby cries, there's physical things that happen within that mom's body just at the sound of that baby crying. And I was like, holy cow. There's a connection here between that nursing mother and that baby that travels even through sound wave. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And that's what he says. He says, we need to be gentle like moms. We need to be caring, affectionate like nursing moms. I remember when our babies were born, when those babies are born, Lisa would hold those babies up close. She would just like study them. You start off by counting things, toes, fingers, make sure everything's there, normal things. But then she starts studying. Why? Because she just you're in love. The moment that baby, not that you don't love that baby before, but, but when that baby comes out of the womb, there's like an instant falling in love that takes place. Dad's experienced it too, but there's something going on there with the moms that's amazing. And you know what? The word for caring right here, you know what the literal meaning of the word for caring that the mothers give the child is sharing of body heat. I don't know how many times over the years that I've watched my wife that she's sensitive to the kids being out in the cold or the grandkids being out in the cold and she comes across them. What's the first thing she do? Grab them, pull them up close, give them that body heat. I know even within my own relationship and our marriage relationship, there's times Lisa's all of a sudden just right next to me. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I, want, I need your body heat. I'm cold. <laughs> you know? But there's, that's caring is. That, that, that whole concept of caring and snuggling and there's that sharing of the warmth and the, and the body heat. And that's, that's the word that's used in this place is, is to care for, to share that body heat, to take that little one and snuggle them up and make sure they're warm and safe and because of you love them, because of that affection. And the Apostle Paul points it out in a couple different ways. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. Later on in chapter 3, he's going to say, we wanted to come back and see you, but it's not working out for us to come and see you. And he says, finally, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to go check up on you. That's somebody that has some affection for these people. If we're going to be involved in being an impact in people's lives, if we're going to be effective in any kind of a spiritual ministry, we have to care about people. We have to have affection for the people that we're trying to lead, the people that we're trying to reach. We've got to love them. You know, what's that old saying? hate to get cliche, but that they, nobody you know, care how much you know till they know how much you care. 
That's, that's very true. Well, also for a mom is sacrificial labor. Putting other people before themselves. You know, as we look at, at verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. That they were able to share their own selves. That he was willing to sacrifice on his part. In fact, the example that he's talking about is that they didn't live off of the Thessalonians while they were there. They worked and provided a living for themselves and put in the hours and the time to be there to, to minister to the Thessalonians as well. And so he's saying, look, we, we put in the work, we put in the hours into both of those things. We invested ourselves in you guys and we also worked to pay for our own living to provide for ourselves. And so it's that sacrificial labor. In verse 9, it says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the Gospel of God. And so the Apostle Paul pointing to that ability to sacrifice, make those personal sacrifices, and to do it in conjunction with work. You know, I think about that with my wife. and She's not going to like how much I talk about her today, but I'm going to pay that price. <laughs> what? Cold Trump's irritated? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. What she's referring to there is sometimes if she's a little irritated with me and she snuggles up to me, she wants to make sure that it's clear. She says, uh, I'm just using you for your body heat. <laughs> I'm still irritated. This isn't over, but, but, but I'm just using your body heat. But anyway, when, when I look at like our family gathering with all of our kids and then all of our grandkids and stuff, when, when we get a chance to have all of our kids home, we, we love it. We love it a lot. But I'll tell you what, that is no vacation for Lisa. Lisa is working for days getting the house how she wants it. So it's all ready. Meals planned. Groceries there. Figuring out what it's going to do. And then it's not, you know, they're not going to eat just hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. Even though I like hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. But she wants to have some neat meals and stuff when, when her kids are home. And then when they all come home, then she's, she's cooking those meals. And she's involved in cleaning up after those meals. And I tell you what, she's about worked to a frazzle. A lot of times we get to the kind of the end of the day where we're all just kind of sitting around visiting and stuff, and she's ready to head to bed. She's sacrificed all her time. Not that she doesn't take time to do things with the grandkids and stuff like that too, but she has put so much time and effort and energy into providing for people and cleaning up after people and helping people and making sure there's fun things for grandkids to do and all that kind of stuff. That is a real labor of love. But it's that kind of that kind of example that the Apostle Paul looks at it and he says, look, that's the way we were with you. We were gentle with you. We're affectionate with you. We sacrifice of ourselves to meet your needs, to help you. Well, if we're going to have an effective ministry within this church, we need to be all those things. We need to be gentle, affectionate. We need to be willing to make the sacrifices of time and material to be able to reach out and care for and help the people that we are in contact with. Now that last part, I had a little bit of a wrestling match figuring out where does the line between father and mother cut. Now, not, not that it's particularly important because the fact of the matter is all the examples are there. Some are going to overlap a little bit and fathers and mothers will bear both of them. But just looking at the passage, the reason that I had the struggle or was concerned with it is in verses 9 and 10. Because notice in verse 9, it says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So that word for, right at the beginning of the passage, if it starts with the word for, it means that whatever he just said before that, that it's connected. There's a connection there. And so it's connected to the mom because of that word for. 
But notice as you continue reading, he says, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children. And so look, see the word for again. Now, this is actually two different Greek words. The first Greek word is the word gar, which usually we usually translate for. It's almost always translated for. Uh, the second one is a different word. And that one's more often translated like just as or even as. And so when you look at it, he says, for even as or for you know how like a father with his children. So, so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, which, so verses 9 and 10, where do they fit? Because he says, gives a, mother's, a motherly example, motherly characteristics. And verse 9 says, for, connecting it to what he had already said. So that obviously highlights the mother's influence, the mother's example. But then when you get right down toward the end of the passage, it says, for you know, and he goes into dealing with the fathers, or, or even as the fathers. And so it's connected to the fathers as well. So I'm like, well, where do you kind of end the motherly characteristics and go on into the fatherly characteristics? Well, I think it's right between verse 9 and 10 is where the change takes place. Verse 9 is connected back to mothers dealing with the sacrificial labor that they put into that relationship. And I think it concludes the thought. Right? Because remember back in verse 6, he tells them, he says, look, we could have, while we were with you, we could have demanded the rights of an apostle. What are the rights of an apostle? The rights of an apostle were that while you were at a church ministering to that church, that church would provide for you. They would take care of you. There's other places in the Bible that says if ye sow spiritual things, you should reap carnal things or physical things. And, and there's other places that teach that principle in different wording. So the, his point is, as, as apostles, as they're traveling around ministering to these churches, it was worth the church's while to support the apostle in that ministry. He said, but you know what? We just didn't even go there. We didn't even want that because we didn't want to be any hindrance to you at all. We just wanted to be a blessing. And so we sacrificed all of that. And that is part of that motherly example, that labor of love. Willing to sacrifice, set aside whatever you might think should be coming to you, and set that aside for the good of someone else. And that's what concludes in verse 9. Well, then in verse 10, he picks up, You are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children. So verse 10 begins the shift from from the motherly characteristics to the fatherly characteristics. And the Apostle Paul used this kind of language, fatherly kind of language, in dealing with his other ministries as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. And so the Apostle Paul in many other places and this is just a sample of it, looks at his ministry among the churches as a fatherly type of ministry, just as he looked at his work among the churches as a mother in labor of bringing those children. And so he continually looked at his ministry as wanting the characteristics of both. The fatherly begins by being a, a model. We've already looked at it a little bit through First Thessalonians. We've hit on it several times. Remember back earlier in chapter 1, he talks about them, how they were imitated to begin with, and, and then they ended up being the leaders that other people imitated. And then he highlights that a little farther in the book of First Thessalonians as well. 
But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, talking to the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, he said, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's what he calls us to here, to lead by example. In Chapter 2 and verse 10 in the passage that we're studying right now, he says, You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you believers. He's setting the example. You know that we were holy before you, righteous before you, blameless before you. In that, we are setting an example for you to follow. Part of being a leader is being an example that is, that's worth following. Probably the biggest part of being a parent. If we tell our kids to do one thing while they watch us do something else, those are hollow words. You won't find anything that will incite rebellion any faster than doing that. I remember thinking with my kids when I was raising them, the things that I didn't want them doing in their life, I didn't do either. Leadership is setting an example. You know, The Apostle Paul, as he comes out here, he says, look, you're witnesses. You saw how we lived. These are the things that you saw in our life. Back in chapter 2, verse 5, a little earlier in this passage, he does a similar thing. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And he calls God as his witness here. God is my witness. And he calls him to witness it in verse 10 as well. You know, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, again, he would look at their own example. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. The Apostle Paul and the people with him were very aware that they needed to be a positive example in the lives of others. You know, that's one of the things that fathers do for their sons. A lot of the things that sons learn about being a man, they just, they just catch it by watching the example of the father. And that's what we need to be in every area of leadership that God puts us in. To be an effective leader, we need to be that kind of example. Now, what is he exemplifying? What is the example that he's leaving for them? Well, he focuses on these three things. Holiness. Holiness is just being separate from sin. Righteousness. Doing what's right. Blamelessness. Blamelessness is usually used more of like your reputation toward other people. What do they see? Things that they could count against you in that sense. He says blamelessness. And these things are all emphasized throughout the book of First Thessalonians. In chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of His saints. So again, he's looking to them and he's saying, what do we want to see in you? The same blamelessness, the same holiness that you saw in us as we were your examples. In chapter 4, verses 3-5, through says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, which means to make you holy, to set you apart unto God, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness, and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then a couple of verses later, in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so throughout the book of 
First Thessalonians, you find the Apostle Paul continually focusing on these things. Look, you need to be holy before God. You need to be righteous. You need to be blameless before God repeatedly through the rest of the book. It starts right here. It starts in chapter 2 as the Apostle Paul looks back at his ministry among them and he says, you know that we set you a good example in that. We were holy and righteous and blameless in our conduct before you. You know what? If we're going to be effective leaders in people's lives, we need to have that holiness, that righteousness, that blamelessness. We need to set that example. But fatherly characteristics, the second one that we find within the passage is a mentor. Notice what it says in verses 11 and 12. He says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And so he lists three more characteristics. We model before people holiness, righteousness, blamelessness. But then he says we're not only a model, we're also a mentor. And we're not only going to teach by example, lead by example, we're also going to teach by teaching. You know, it's, it's kind of like you hear statements, oh, who was it? He says you should always be preaching the Gospel and sometimes with words. Like obviously, what is the point that he's making? You should be demonstrating it with your life and sometimes use words. Well, actually, the fact of the matter is you can't preach the gospel without words because it contains content, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I totally understand what he's saying is that your life better be backing that up. Well, the fact of the matter is, is when you're a leader, if you're a father and you've got sons, you need to lead by example. But you better open your mouth and teach them some principles as you go along as well. You need to step up on occasions where they need to be corrected. And you need to be there to encourage in places times where they need encouragement. No matter who or what we're trying to lead, we need both things. We need example and we need that mentoring, that teaching that goes along with it as well. You know, the word exhorting there is actually translated from a word, a word as, as parakletos. Uh, that is one of the titles in Greek that was given to the Holy Spirit. The literal meaning of a paraclete is somebody who comes alongside. He says, this is how we behaved among you. We were like a father to you. Well, we were exhorting you. We, we came alongside you and encouraged you and strengthened you and helped you. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He comes alongside. He joins in with. He guides us and directs us. And that's what we're called to do as we lead other people. We, we come in alongside. And sometimes we come in alongside and say, you know what, you're doing great. And sometimes we come in alongside and we say, you know what, you better think about this. Because you're headed down a bad path. You're headed in the wrong direction. But in both instances, we're, we're coming alongside. We're kind of linking arms with them to get heading in the right direction or keep heading within the right direction. That's part of what makes up effective leaders. Well, he uses another word for encouragement. Now, this particular word that was translated encouragement usually means encouragement like uh, comforting, consoling. In other words, they, they have something that's hard to deal with on their plate at the moment. And they need some, they need some comfort. They need some consolation. And so, you know what? That's what fathers need to do as well. Fathers need to be there not only to spur their children on, to be that kind of mentor that teaches them some valuable things and some valuable lessons along the way, but when they're failing and struggling, you know, a lot more can learn from failure than from success. And, and that's a great moment, but that moment's going to have to start with some, some consolation, some encouragement, some comfort. And then lastly, he says, I charged you. He's holding them to a high bar. He's lifting them up. He's saying, look, you need to do this. 
He's giving them the encouragement, the strength, the, the motivation to, to do what they need to do. And so all of these things, when you look at what is a father, he's a model for people to follow. He's also a mentor where he's going to be speaking into their lives and teaching and, and correcting. And he's going to be there. He's going to be engaged in those things. To be an effective in any area of the leadership, we need, the, we need those same things. We need the things that we get from moms and we need the things that we get from dads. And as we look at those things, what do we, what do we glean from our moms? We need to lead with gentleness and affection and that sacrificial kind of labor that comes naturally from it. When we look at our fathers, we need to, we need to model. We need to be that example for them to follow. We also need to, we need to mentor. We need to, we need to come in alongside. And we need to take advantage of those teachable moments. And you know, these things will help us, whether you're leading something official or a certain group or, or a certain ministry within the church, or whether you're just trying to be a good neighbor and lead your neighbor to Christ or invite him to church, or whether you're trying to be lead within your family or amongst even just in your relationships. These things will take you a long way.